I'm sorry that I missed your party. I wish I had a better excuse, but I can't even lie, you got me. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. I was busy dreaming about boys, boys, boys. I was busy thinking about boys, boys, boys. Let's get ready to rumble. Welcome to... Aya versus the big boys. Tonight's fight, Step Brothers. <clears throat> wow, that is a fun voice to do every fucking time. Hello and welcome. My name is Kevin Cookman, resident big boy and ringleader for the matchup of the century. You are listening to Mary Garon Magazine's first ever Patreon exclusive podcast mini series, as you very much know. We are stuck in a quarantine amidst a global pandemic. We're all working from home. And the side effect of that, uh, well, we have a lot more free time to catch up on media of all shapes and sizes. We all have movies we know we should have seen by now, but just haven't. And, you know, call it the canon, call it the IMDb Top 250, or call them the big boys. The pinnacles of cinema maybe the most explicitly patriarchal artistic medium of all time without any further ado. In today's episode... And every episode, I am joined by the, it's never easy to get this word out, titular prize Bitch. fighter herself, <laughs> Aya Layman. Aya, it's how you doing? It's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. Ooh, That's ooh, for ooh. goddamn right. That's the fucking truth, Ruth. Ooh, ooh, Aya, how ooh, you doing ooh. today? One day, <laughs> I would like to get a lot of money and get the rights to John Cena's walk-up music from the WWE and play it in this intro of this podcast. How much money are you willing to pony up for that? Lots, Kev. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I think you're uh, hearing the whispers of a GoFundMe coming up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a Patreon on top of the Patreon. <laughs> it's the sub-Patreon in the Patreon. <laughs> We're doing another Patreon, folks. Oh, God. Hey, since you brought it up, at the very top of the show, I would love to thank our Patreon subscribers uh, for listening to our fucking show. Uh, that is very uh, kind and nice and uh, very flattering, and we love that you guys are supporting the site, uh, supporting your friends, uh, and, you know, if you're, we're not friends, let's be friends, baby. Let's do it. This is what it's all about. If we're not friends, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Aya, we Kevin. have... A very fun episode slated today. We do. I we, hope so. Yeah. We have for once a movie that is not questioning the very facets of life itself. Uh, finally, a film that uh, inspires some ha-has and some guffaws in a time of general turmoil. I had a tee-hee here and there. <laughs> I, what are we talking about today? We're talking about friggin' stepbrothers today. I, oh, my God. I can't believe... I mean, it's the content of the podcast, but for some reason, it's this one that's really hitting me. I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. He freaked out when I, he found out. Mo so did my most roommate. Most people have that we've told. They don't like this. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what is like so surprising to me is the fact that like, if I were to pin down what I think you enjoy from comedies, I think you enjoy a good yell. I think you enjoy a good... Uh, quotable quote. I, like a quotable I think you quote. enjoy 
big, funny comedians doing big, funny things as big as possible. Not true. Never mind. We're going to redact that one. We're gonna you got two and you lost one. <laughs> wow. What the fuck? Okay. I was basing that all on It's Always Sunny, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's the greatest program ever made, but we can talk about that later. Okay, but you see how I, you see, you see yes. how I got to yes, that, maybe, yes, understanding. Yes, 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 yes. All right, all right, fine, fine. Here's the crazy thing. In my humble opinion, if we're looking at the Will Ferrell, Adam McKay features, this might be their pinnacle. You're a big Ricky Bobby fan. I personally, I don't know, man. <laughs> Were you were you twelve in two thousand six? <laughs> like seeing Ta- being twelve and seeing Talladega Nights in the theaters was it hit different? If as the kids say, um, it was a whole different experience. And so Will yeah. Ferrell, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. Oh, thank you. Will Ferrell pretty much defined, I think, a big chunk of our childhoods. Like mm-hmm. he was everywhere in every which type of movie. Elf, uh, you got family movies. God, yes. Elf, we're, Elf and uh, Old School were the same year, which I think is a horrifying <laughs> <What>? thing. <laughs> but that's the crazy thing, is that like Will Ferrell is, if anything, a lot of people's gateway to like naughtier stuff. Like You laugh at him in Elf, and then you're like, what else has this funny, big, uh, oafish man done? And then you go and see that he's done like mud wrestling with naked women, and then I think... Anchorman was the next year. But I mean, when we were th- like growing up in, in the 2000s, like a Will Ferrell comedy was the shit. The like shit. that was an event. Everyone turned out for that. And especially your beloved Ricky Bobby, which is a movie that like when man. that came out when I was 10. I, yeah, I'm going to go 10. Uh, and I never understood the hype. It, it might have been that like the scenario was either too American for me or like just too like I like if I want to see a race car movie I want to see the race cars go fast like there's nothing inherently mm. attractive about seeing them talk like mm. even as a kid Ricky Bobby was like too mature for me <laughs> so like tell me what's for Ricky Bobby Talladega Nights what's the gap you think between a 10 year old and a 12 year old loving it what hit for a you and a 12 year old loving it. that's actually a good question i do think that movie's a lot of talking and i think i mean also like i don't care about racing like i'm not sitting there going there for the race car movie like i'm you know i wasn't interested in fast and the furious as a child i know i was wrong now but like i'm not i'm not there for the race car like i hear race car and i'm like i don't care about nascar but then i hear like you know, Will Ferrell as like a NASCAR driver, which was actually just the pitch. That though, that was the pitch. Will Ferrell is a NASCAR driver, and it, that's what they they got the go ahead. They got the green light on that pitch alone because it's just like, yeah, you want to see that he because he looks. Let's get to the nitty gritty. The way that Will Ferrell looks, he could fit into so many different genre of person. Like if I saw him as like a like the dean of a college, I'd be like, sure. You see him as a NASCAR driver, you're like, okay. You see him as just like a schleppy dude who lives with his mom and he's 40, you're like, absolutely. Like he fits so well into, you see him as an anchor man. Yes, like he just fits, he's the most like, I mean, this is like, this phrase is just loaded in itself, but he's like very all-American, you know? Like he's just like a white dude who could be literally anywhere and that's like the big part of his appeal and that's why it's so fucking funny to watch him just like you know and i think telling nice is also very quotable so he's like 
I don't know. Like for me, like that movie's really quotable. Just like, you know, the like, dear sweet baby Jesus in your, in your tiny crib. Like, you know, like help me Tom Cruise, help me, help me Oprah. Like all those quotes are so good. And just like, I mean the the pinnacle, I want to go fast. Like what the fuck? Like the way he says it, you're just like, how have I never heard these words together? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think what's interesting is like, the link that we have, which is Will Ferrell movies were like sleepover movies for both of us, you know? Like, I feel like his comedies have been able to transcend the sleepover and the slumber party, where it's just like, they are big fucking goofy affairs. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of wild that of all the people to have done it, (laughs) it was him and McKay that really locked it down. Yeah. He's a big, beautiful man, and I think if you're mentioning all the things that make him like an all-American character actor in his career, there's something about Step Brothers that I think, for me, perfectly encapsulates every single one of his strengths of every possible character he can play. Because Mm -hmm. we have like the big, soft man who is acting like a baby, which is like, ah, primo, pristine, love this. But then whenever he's going into like, the uh like the high school principal character that you brought up or like the like ricky bobby sort of like macho stereotype it becomes so much funnier because of this delusional shell of a character that he's in for this film like when will ferrell has the uh ron burgundy confidence in stepbrothers and it is so misplaced even more misplaced (laughs) than what it would be for like a san diego uh anchor it makes the movie like that much more extreme, you know, like mm-hmm. even as grounded as this film kind of tries to be. And I think we'll talk about how I think there are two different movies at play in Step Brothers. Yes. Uh, there's something about Farrell just finding just the right moment to be starring in real, like a real life movie. And then to be starring in like a Jerry Lewis, fuck anything happens film. It's, it's incredible shit. Uh, I, before we get too far into Step Brothers, Aya, what do you think of Step Brothers? Did you enjoy this film? I liked it. I thought it was fun. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. I know. It's not the oh, best God. review. Aya, what happened? What? Uh, I don't... As much as I appreciate Will Ferrell, his movies don't always work for me. Oh, I This is... Fuck. I love Talladega Nights, like more than anything <laughs> i love that movie i could watch the movie a million times but i don't love anchorman um that movie didn't work for me i didn't love this i thought it was really fun like i liked it i don't know i'm like i always end up being kind of like yeah like that was really fun but like sometimes it just gets a little bit like like you said like when you said we were trying to describe my taste when you said comedians doing things way too big and like too much I'm like oh that doesn't work for me it, it I immediately shut off I don't know why because like truly my favorite movie of all time is Hot Rod <laughs> I it, it, nothing's lining up right now it doesn't <laughs> not line a single up. thing but I mean like I think like the the fun thing about I can't believe I'm gonna say this. the fun thing about Lonely Island and like Andy Samberg is that when you think he's He's, like, too big in a way that's, like, understated. (laughs) And, like, when he, like, when you most expect him to, like, go too big, he doesn't. He pulls back, and that's when it's, like, 
Like, there are sometimes where this man is the most absurd man in the entire world, and yet he, like, the people around him are somehow crazier, and I love that. But I feel like when I watch movies like this, it's just Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, who I do believe, okay, we haven't talked about John C. Riley enough yet, because I think John C. Riley is one of the finest actors of his generation. A thousand percent. Oh a my god! Percent. For, you want to talk about range? You want to talk about versatility? <laughs> I want to talk about John C. Riley, star, Academy Award nominee for Chicago, two thousand two. I want to talk about John C. Riley, action star of freaking Kong Skull Island. I love John C. Riley. I think he does the perfect amount always. I think he always does the perfect amount. He's always giving it the perfect amount. I love him in Talladega Nights so much. And I love that he lives in Altadena, California. (laughs) (laughs) He's a hometown hero, folks. Anyways, I love John C. Riley's performance always. And I think for me, Will Ferrell kind of does too much sometimes. And that's just, I mean, I don't know. I I see what you mean. Because I think one of the big appeals of, of Step Brothers is like the same appeal of like, 2010 era like Kanye West where it's just like hey guess what this song only horns that's it (laughs) (laughs) this beat only beeps no boops just Just beeps beeps. (laughs) and it's just it wears you out to the point where it's like uh it's like in the Simpsons when Sideshow Bob just keeps stepping on the rake over and over again and it's just a joke that goes on for like two and a half minutes (laughs) And it's something that, like, even, like, I've brought, it up, brought him up already, but, like, Jerry Lewis also kind of pioneered, which is just this going at one level of energy and it being the absolute most energy. And the entire, like, joke of it is that it's an endurance act. Like, it is almost like a show of stamina to see how much and how, how much energy this man can give off and for how long. And I think Step Brothers is, like, like perfecto canon in just two big giant soft men (laughs) just going at 11 for about 97 minutes and then you're out the door it's exhausting but there's something about it that you know there are some viewings of this film where i'm like this is the perfect comedy this is the (laughs) best film of all time this is the funniest shit that's ever been made and then there are other times where like when we watched it together this week where I kind of think, huh, weirdly enough, I kind of would enjoy this movie more if it was a Quibi. Like, if I could watch this movie, wow. like, in 15 parts. Man wants a quick so that, bite. Like, just a little quick bite, so that, like, instead of it just being a constant barrage of exhausting, loud comedy, it's just, uh, like, a broken-up piece of set, like, a broken-up variety of set pieces where each one basically ramps up in its own way, and you get to see things escalate from like the ground up. Cause I think if you watch scenes from Step Brothers segmented, it becomes even funnier than in the context of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of see where you're going, even though I think <laughs> I, I can't figure you out at all, which I think I'm fine with, you know, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I don't think we really need to <laughs> fully discover what's going on here. But I, I, I can't, the man can't figure me Hot out. Is your, I can't believe Hot Rod is your favorite. And yet this doesn't work. Have you seen Hot perfect. <laughs> I just don't like that they're... I like that Hot Rod isn't always at 11. I like that it's I, not. Okay. And I like... I think Talladega Nights, it works more because... I don't know. Like, I can't figure it out. Like, I think that the entire... Like, the, all of Talladega Nights is at 
a certain level. But no, that one's way different because there's like that one pulls back too because there's parts where he's like at home and he has to like give up, you know, the big stuff. And that's like so fun. Like when he's, you know, trying to learn how to drive again or when he's like on his bike delivering pizzas. Like you forget, people forget that like most of that movie is him like not racing <laughs> or like him and Sasha Baron Cohen just like fighting with each other, which is like, it's really fun to see him get, I like it. I like to watch him get outwitted by Sasha Baron Cohen more than I like to see his wits matched by John C. Riley. I see. Okay. I, I, I'm beginning to understand because it's, you like sort of like the waves of like a tide pool, mm-hmm. whereas I really appreciate a tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, I like, like, I love Hot Rod because it's like the most normal scene in the entire world, like where they're just like talking or like, and then all of a sudden Rod's like, you're the devil. And he just like, <laughs> he like leaves, slams the door. I am genuinely sorry about the window. Like, I love that. I love that it's like, it's like weirdly normal. And then there's these just like random explosions where it's just like, oh shit, I forgot. I'm watching a very funny movie. No, yeah, totally. And that's like the magic of like MacGruber as well. So like, that's definitely like that guy, that team's bread and butter. A thousand yeah. Percent. It's, it's, it's glorious. It's why their dumb shit works so well for me. I love freaking pop star. <laughs> it's not as good as Hot Rod, but I do love pop star. Yeah. You know, and it makes sense because I was about to bring up the fact that like I think the scenes in Step Brothers that don't go to eleven are the scenes with Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen, where they seem to be in a different movie altogether. Where you know Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are totally in their bag, just like going for it. This movie <laughs> had a production budget of I think sixty three million dollars, <laughs> and I think mo- like I I know. <laughs> And I think most of it was spent just for schedule, just to have time. Because apparently a lot of this movie was improvised completely. Um, It's just, they would go by the script for a bit, but then they would just spend like two hours out of like the three hours on a 20 second scene, just screaming stuff, hashing stuff out, (laughs) trying new things. Like for a lot of the actors on set for this, this was one of the most fun things they've ever been a part of. Like Rob Riggle, uh, who does the big pow, pow. Love him. Great. Love that bit. Incredible bit. Uh, he's been like on a lot of like huge comedy sets and he's worked with a ton of people. And he says this is his favorite set that he's wow. ever been on. And this is like a bit role. Like this is a, he's a hard, role. He's that, in like, like three scenes. He's in three scenes in the background, <laughs> just making noises. And this is like the pinnacle of his like career. And like that's how much of an impact this set had, where it's just Adam McKay like coasting off the goodwill of Talladega Knights and uh, Anchorman. And then him just going, look, me and Will, we know exactly what we do. We know exactly what the audience wants. And we know exactly how to deliver it. Give us $65 million so we can fuck around. And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> and so Will, and Will, and Will, uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are going for it in this mass expensive experiment. But then Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen, they are in a marriage drama <laughs> where they need story. to deal with their sick children. <laughs> 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 and like for me... I, I was going to defend it and say that that is the tide pool inside the tidal wave, inside the tsunami. But really, it's two tsunamis going at each other <laughs> at the same time because Steenbergen and, and Jenkins are just like, they, it is a miserable life that they lead in this film. He puts my purse in the freezer. <laughs> 
how did this uh, how did this balance work for you? Like, I, I mean, Mary Steenburgen, she's glowing this entire film. She's a star. It's 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 unreal. You- Mary Steenburgen is ethereal. She is radiant. It's like I don't. Like, what do they do? Like, th- th- from the high, like her hair, the highlights in her hair, every outfit she wears is killer. And she's just like, she is the mom everyone wishes they had in this movie. Like, she's so sweet. She, she lets them get away with so much shit, but like, not in a way that feels like too much, in a way that feels like supportive. And the way, <laughs> when they're like, please, can we make our beds bug beds? She's like, yes. <laughs> It's just, it's like so sweet. Like it should be really like a lol fest, but it's just like very gentle the way that she behaves. She cares so much. For these people. I also just love that she like fucking hates Adam Scott, like her own child. <laughs> oh my God. I've Adam Scott. That's a whole topic. Of himself I right love there. those. Like, I think those scenes are the funniest in the movie with him. I think he's like so funny in this movie. I love when he's, uh, my favorite line from the whole movie, the least quotable scene is when before they present, per, like present boats and hose is Adam Scott's opening his gifts. And he's like, a Callaway three wood. Yes. <laughs> I just love that. He's like in a crowded restaurant, opening all of his presents, like one by one. And he's like, what'd you get me? I, I'm, I love it. I think it's so funny. I love him and the family driving in the in the Land Rover, or Range Rover, or whatever, singing together. Like it's so funny. Yeah, it's crazy. I think like this has to be the apex for this, uh, like the portrayal of this type of character for this type of like uh, like suited up corporate alpha male. Mm-hmm. Like there's some like it hits every single point so directly. Actually, you know. What adds a whole other layer of comedy to this film is the fact that it so clearly takes place in Pasadena. And yes! That, like, <laughs> everyone here looks like someone that you would definitely find in Pasadena. This is a Patreon exclusive for all my Pasadena pals because I know a lot of them listen. Folks, this film was shot in South Pasadena, California. Pasadena, California, there's uh, several scenes that take place on mission in South Pass. And it is truly the most Pasadena... Because there are, like, too many grown-ass adults living with their parents in, like, San Marino. (laughs) So, Aya, bringing this geography up, I have to ask... Where do you think Adam Scott is driving from to come visit his family? That's a good question. Adam Scott Where, definitely. Where's he coming from? I don't know. It's like when? What year did this come out? Twenty twelve? Twenty ten? Uh, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. A week after the Dark Knight. What? <laughs> this comes out a week after the Dark Knight, the same day as Pineapple Express. What? Uh. Like, maybe the last great day for comedies. That's insane. late July 2008. This this shit was crazy. And yet, wasn't a huge hit. It was, like, really maligned. Like, half and half, uh, people loved it, people hated it. I think, because this was also, like, the first time that McKay and Farrell had done, like, an R-rated type of deal. Mm. And so, if you look at, like, the real vulgarity of this film compared to Talladega Nights, it's it's a ramp up, for sure. It's true. But... I'm just stalling for time so we can figure out because I'm I'm I think it's Sierra Madre. 
I think Adam Scott's <laughs> I think coming from totally Sierra Madre. You're totally right. I'm trying to put my mind back into like 2008 before. Like, let's, like, if you're not from LA, let's take, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you back to before like Highland Park, Silver Lake, Echo Park, all these places were gentrified. I'm talking 2000 freaking eight when like, God, I think he probably, he either lives like by the beach or he li- like, I'm talking like not even West side. Like I'm thinking like, I don't know. Malibu. I think he would like go live in Malibu. Malibu. Yeah. Malibu is definitely like, yeah. Helicopter, <laughs> helicopter dealer. <laughs> It's so funny. It's like the perfect amount it's of like so just things that you say out loud about these characters that just is immediately just like uh, it elicits like a, a laugh just at the sound of it. Absolutely. Like, oh, what does his brother do? Oh, he deals helicopters. <laughs> and he his big thing every year is organizing a wine mixer in Catalina. I, uh, I... I, I was looking at uh, sort of interviews because I think the funny thing about 2018, uh, a horrible year that had some good news stories, at least. Where are uh, we? Uh, bad year. Uh, but that was the 10th anniversary of Step Brothers. And so every magazine and, and uh, news source was like, yeah, let's do a 10th anniversary write-up interview on Step Brothers. Like, let's do a retrospective. Hell yeah. And I found a piece from Adam McKay on the origin of the Catalina wine mixer, which... <gasps> Might be the biggest takeaway from Step Brothers. In the Please end. share. Uh, I want to share this bit from Adam McKay because I think it completely encapsulates this movie's sense of humor and why I think basically what clicks in everything. So Adam McKay goes, Farrell and I were talking about the most boring, dry, grown-up event that for some reason people think is a huge deal. Farrell just said the phrase Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> I'm not from LA, so I didn't know anything about Catalina. I just thought it sounded funny, and I thought the idea of a wine mixer was the perfect thing to make a big deal of. We went out to scout Catalina Island, and it's very beautiful out there, but it's not much of a town. I came back very baffled, and I was like, Farrell, Catalina Island is pretty, but there's not much out there. He's like, I know, that's why I said it. <laughs> he was laughing because we took a whole crew out there to scout it. Catalina wine mixer just sounded absolutely ludicrous, and we loved the joke of the guys. Uh, from a helicopter leasing company, just treat it like it's the freaking end of the world, level of how jacked up they are about it. The phrase just repeated over and over just made us laugh harder and harder. The fucking Catalina wine mixer. like The fucking Catalina wine mixer. It's the ultimate joke of Step Brothers. Like, that is, like, when you look under the microscope, every single cell of Step Brothers is the Catalina wine mixer joke. <laughs> Aya, did you grow, when when you were going through uh, high school and college, did you see, like, a lot of, like, stepbrothers' influence in your life? A lot of references to this movie? Because this is also the movie that pioneered the fucking uh, uh, So Much Room for Activities quote. That line I quote a lot, and I didn't even realize it was from this movie. So much more room. We moved our beds. There's so much room for activities. I love that line. I really love that line. It's a perfect line. But honestly, no. Um, watching this movie, I was like, wow, how have I never heard these jokes before? I've heard of the Catalina wine mixer, but that's kind of it. Wow. Or the, did we just become best friends? That one's fun. Yeah. yeah good. Wow. I, I guess this movie was less influential than I thought. This movie has really left very, like, very little impact on my life personally. But again... I don't like to talk to men very much. (laughs) 
I guess so. Yeah, this is a pretty big movie among men. This is like, I mean, if we're talking like sleepover essentials, this to like teenagers is like cavemen finding what sticks are for. You know, it's just pure chaos. (laughs) It is the funniest fucking thing you could ever put on the screen. I remember it's golden. Kelsey was like, Kelsey's my roommate. Kelsey was like, this is probably the most iconic like Will Ferrell movie. And I was like, no, it's not. Immediately. I was like, no, it's not. It's Anchorman. And she was like, oh yeah, you're totally right. (laughs) I was like, yeah, like this is a really fun movie and I get why people enjoy it so much. But like, I don't think it even in terms of Will Ferrell movies, it's not even like the iconic one. I think if we were to find a version of Step Brothers for you, I think there's a remake from last year, 2019, that is exactly your bread and butter. It is a Robert Eggers picture called The Lighthouse. <gasps> that I think... Uh, wow! Basically Unexpected! Everything that, you, everything that you find missing from this film, uh, I think Willem Dafoe and a good old uh, R. Pats, they got you covered. Mr. Pattinson. <laughs> it's just... It's, it really is like the dream double feature and it's all, it's basically the same themes uh, where it's just like, look at these figures of, of masculinity just completely crumble in the face of like self-made isolation. Wow. Like that is essentially what Step Brothers is. And I think what's so, what's extra funny about Step Brothers now is that this movie was kind of made uh, and conceived in response to the fact that like around 2007 and 2006, we start seeing a major uptick in Comic-Con's cultural aura. Mm. Comic-Con is now this thing that like, is not just a niche event. This is where tons of grown adults go to to basically consume uh, children's media. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's a bit before we really get into the rut of sort of nostalgia trappings. But I do think Step Brothers is incredibly prescient of a very certain type of man that we have today. Like the like Dale and Brennan and Step Brothers, these are the guys that are like watching the 47-hour Avengers marathon at the AMC oh in Times God. Square. You know? <laughs> like I guess <laughs> these men now exist in droves, right? That's very true and I think that's exactly why I didn't think this was very funny. I think that's exactly it because and at Kevin, genius. Because at the time, I'm like, I got to take myself back to 2008. I can't, I, I'm in 2020, baby. I got to take myself back to 2008. At that time, a 40-year-old man wearing a Yoda t-shirt was a sight gag. Now, <laughs> it's my fucking coworker. <laughs> like, I, like, <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, that's, that totally makes sense. The, oh my God, I'm freaking out. I'm like, this movie's no longer funny. That's so sad. The humor of this film has been lost to time because this movie is no longer funny to someone who watches it with fresh eyes today because these dudes are fucking everywhere. And culture and media are like made for them now. This is the year Iron Man came out. Iron Man came out in 2008. This is literally... This comes out... Yeah, this comes out two months... uh, Iron Man comes out two months before Step Brothers. Iron Man and The Dark Knight. the The two... The two superhero films that have literally defined the last 12 years of media 
came out the same year as this. Like this movie is like the last remaining cultural touchstone of making fun of this kind of person who fully deserves to be made fun of to this day. And yet now we cater to them because they have so much fucking money because of like institutionalized oppression. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Aya, this is uh this is uh like I'm having a breakthrough. <laughs> This is red string on the wall. Uh, I'm is... literally Charlie with the mail. I'm Pepe Silvia. Like, <laughs> can we talk about the mail, Mac? Please, I've been dying to talk about the mail. This movie. Now I, I, I now worship this film. <laughs> wow! Holy shit! I'm gonna watch it again. I have to watch it again and put myself back in 2008 to when these men like weren't on Twitter, like calling me like a fat whore like i need to go back i need to go back to before reddit was like a thing i need to erase incel culture from my mind so i can love this movie yeah i i I mean i think those are the big swings those are definitely the big ingredients in this film but i think it also explains the entire uh like this conversation that we've been having about sort of like tide pools versus tsunamis. Cause I think now that we're in 2020 and you're sort of taking this in with only the context of you're right. Like Marvel fans being the majority of movie fans. Uh, now the, the, the joke of the sort of like the man trapped in arrested development, that's no longer really a joke. That's kind of just our current dilemma. And so the only thing left comedy wise really is the yelling and like the fury of it all yes. and just the aggression of it all. But the actual con like the content of the humor, that's no longer really funny in 2020. Like that's just now facts. It's, it's, it's a completely different movie now. Like these dudes are like, and that's why I had a problem with the ending kind of. And like this whole genre of film of like, as you said, men in arrested development, like men who like at the end of this film completely validates them and is like, you should go forth and remain childish somewhat. I do think that I do think this movie is a little bit less like because they don't fully regress. Like they do still like they build a company based on their passions. Like they do their like karaoke thing, which is like very sweet. And I think that that's like, but like then they get their, you know, they get their treehouse back and they're 41 years old. And you're like, like, that's just not, it's not funny. And like, I worry that movies like this have like given men the idea that they should like be young and dumb forever. And then it's okay because Richard Jenkins said it was okay. <laughs> and like the therapist is the big bad because she's like, you guys know that this is like totally fucked up. Right. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, no, like one, we shouldn't be dating our therapists too. Like we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be like giving these dudes airtime. We shouldn't be letting them get away with this because like they're just going to continue to fuck shit up. And they have for the last 12 years. I think the big thing to consider with what you're bringing up right now 
is where Adam McKay goes from Step Brothers. Adam McKay. Let's talk the last few years. Adam McKay, the last few years, uh, we basically almost like he's become a prestige director. Like he's got the Big Short, and which was a huge fucking hit. Daddy Gosling, and then Pantheon Gosling in that movie. I have only seen that movie one time. I should watch it again. It's uh, one is fine. Okay, Uh, but then you have Vice, (laughs) which is like a muddled, weird, Weird like a weird meshing of like what he did in the 2000s and then what he was doing with the big short. And it's just, I get the point of this is that these are very politically minded films. They're very anti-establishment, very angry at the current state of America. And I think he starts showing those tendencies in the other guys in 2010. (gasps) That film ends with the entire uh, (laughs) credits graph of like basically all the money that I think wall street has stolen uh, some, something very general and broad. But I remember at the time, like people being like, why the fuck did the other guys end with these graphs? Like, <laughs> why Was this a political movie the whole time? And I think that's the kind of the trouble with Adam McKay as a quote unquote political filmmaker is that I think what he thinks qualifies as political cinema, the big short and, and vice are kind of condescending and kind of just, you know, just almost homework in a way. It's, I think if you make your film constantly say that it's not homework, it just feels more like your cool tutor who's giving you homework. (laughs) And so his greatest like opportunity to really get a lot of those ideas across were I think these comedies. And I think it's no mistake that Step Brothers opens with a George Bush quote, a a mocking of a George Bush quote. Oh, I thought that was so funny. It's so funny. And I think it's like, technically this movie is made in George Bush's America. These are George Bush's children. Oh, shit. Yeah, different presidency. (laughs) Obama wasn't even fucking elected yet. (laughs) Nope. And so I I do think that in Step Brothers, that is on the mind. The entire fact that these guys are fucking terrifying. At the ending of the film is like, I think the therapist comes in and she's saying, you guys know this is completely fucked, right? Like, there's still sort of an understanding of it, but there's this weird sense of the, like... The movie is is giving Dale and Brennan this happy ending, but there's because of just like, and of course there's not enough in the movie to qualify it, which is the most annoying part of Step Brothers. But there's because of like the little hints here and there of how the film is self aware of itself. You don't, I I don't feel personally a complete like satisfaction in for them. Am I making sense? <laughs> Yes, and I think that you can draw that all back to simply one scene with Seth Rogen because you're given this moment where the icon of stoner comedies is right there and he and he's like, "Yeah, you guys seem pretty cool." And then they <laughs> the fart happens and then he and then he literally says a line like, "You know, at first I thought the tuxedos were kind of cool, and now I think it's kind of weird." And you're like that. And that's like the whole movie where you're like, this seems really fun until it becomes a reality. And he's like, oh, no, this is kind of fucking weird. And that so I feel like that's like that sums up what you're trying to say, where it's like there's still that like, oh, you guys still can't be real people. Totally, totally. Uh, It's just like I wish that 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 uh, tone was hit so much more often in the movie Mm -hmm. because I think it would actually become more than just a studio event comedy. I think it could actually become like the satire that 
McKay would later on claim to be making. I don't know. Just that feels like the biggest lost opportunity of Step Brothers in that I think as a is a cultural record, it is essential. Like this yeah. is like finding a fossil. It is. But then on its own, I'm left wanting from it definitely as a movie. Because I think if, if it had those marks while also being this absurd, vulgar piece of work, I think it could have been... I, like, this has the potential to be, like, a subversive masterpiece. <laughs> Whereas I think just right now, it's something that I would love to watch at the New Beverly at midnight with, like, four beers in my belly. <laughs> and that's kind of, like, the peak of what Step Brothers will always be to me. I think, I think that you can... I think you have to find context. I think if you want to make that point, you can find context in his filmography in yes, the fact absolutely. that his, the two films preceding this, at least I don't remember more. I'm sorry. Are Talladega Nights and Anchorman, which as you mentioned before are like, those two films are about excess bravado, like men with like too much confidence, men who have misplaced confidence, uh, privileged white men, truly. Like, I mean, and like, he's laughing at them, basically. Ultimately, he's laughing at them, but he's still like a good filmmaker, so he still gives them a happy ending. But I think that you have to contextualize this between the, those movies of like the other guys where you suddenly have Mark Wahlberg and then even Into the Big Short and Vice. I always want to say Veep, but Veep is far superior. Um, you you can look at stepbrothers and you're almost like, why is this here? Like, this is the ugly stepchild. Like this is the ugly duckling. Like, why are these guys here? Because you know, it's not Dick Cheney. It's not Bo Ricky Bobby. It's not Ron Burgundy. But I think that you can, when you look at those other movies, it makes sense why this movie is there because these are the same kind of guy. And yet they don't have the, like the title that that gives them that contextualizes why they feel this way. They just feel that way. They feel like they're better than other people. They feel like they're, you know, they deserve pr the privilege that they've been given of living at home with their parents just because they exist. And so I think that it's almost like too real <laughs> because you watch this movie and men are like, well, I'm not like that. You know, I'm, I'm more like Ron Burgundy. And it's like, no, dude, you fucking live in your mom's basement and you're 40 and uh, your fucking Yoda shirt isn't cool, even though you bought it on Redbubble. Like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> and so I think this movie actually does like really make sense in his filmography because it is about the same kind of guy. It just strips the title away. And it's like, this is what you're behaving like. Yeah, like in that context... It definitely feels like a more like a late period movie after all these movies, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It, it is it it is very odd that Was Step Brothers basically ahead of its time. <laughs> I was about to say, it's a little <laughs> ahead of its time. Like <laughs> cause like this is also kind of like before the Eric Andre show, where like just destroying a set mm -hmm. is just the funniest fucking thing that you can do. True. <laughs> yeah, I it is weird to say it, because I find Step Brothers so connected with 2008 you know like that period of comedy where you're still doing these high concept like Step Brothers comes out the same summer as Pineapple Express uh, Mike Myers the love guru and you don't mess with the Zohan <laughs> like these are the films still coming out in theaters wow crazy times I do think though I think that because you said that like 
it's really interesting how this movie walks the tightrope. What were we talking about before that also walked a tightrope between two different genres? But it is interesting how intensely this is tied to 2008. Like you, you need the context of 2008 to make this movie truly fu- funny. And that's why the sight gag with the Yoda shirt works. Like that's why, you know, them like them pretending to be like Nazis and KKK members to like scare away people (laughs) who are coming to visit that's why that's like so funny like certain things this movie are funny because it is still 2008 like Adam Scott with his fucking bluetooth in his ear all the time you know but it becomes that more kind of scary thing when you're watching it from this point like from 2020 and that's why it like that's why it's so it's interesting how his mind has found that like that that very thin line to be walking where he's like he knew kind of I think he knew what he was doing I think Will Ferrell was aware of what he was doing as well but he was like okay but we could still stick with the sensibilities to make this more of a lol fest yeah like they it, it really does feel almost as if they saw the shift in the culture coming and they wanted to yeah. bank in on the comedy of it first and it didn't fully connect in 2008 because it like the boom of this type of man hadn't quite happened yet. And so now that we're here at the tail end of Endgame being the most like profitable film of all, hold on, uh, the highest grossing film of all time, it's it, it, Step Brothers finally I think connects on every caliber of what's going on in its in its brain, dude. <laughs> It's because tr- back then, like this was such a niche kind of dude. Like this guy was in Dodgeball. Oh my god, remember Dodgeball? This guy was oh like god. what? This guy was like a side character in Dodgeball. You know, this guy was a side character in other movies to provide the like. Well, actually, Yoda's first appearance wasn't until like that guy. And so it was funny because you're like, oh, they're just making this funny movie about like the nerdy dude who lives at home. And now it's like, oh my god, <laughs> they're making a movie about every man. <laughs> Wow, we we have found ourselves in a, a real fucking rabbit hole. This is insane. <laughs> I was oh not expecting this. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, can we take a quick pause? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we blew the lid off of this thing. <laughs> Holy shit, we broke this story wide open. Kevin's face is red. He's freaking out. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Okay. wow. I'm completely turned around on this film. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. <laughs> it just makes sense to me. Like now, even more after this conversation, it makes sense to me, like why men find this movie so funny and why all these movies men find funny is because the end is just regression. Or just stagnance. And a lot of these films, they don't really learn anything. They just kind of keep going. Do you know what I mean? Or like, like even like Taldega Knights. Like he, you know, he learned something at the end of that movie, shockingly. But he's still like a race, like he's still going to go back and be a race car driver. Like he still race, do, does the race. And yeah, like you think if, about... If I were to connect to like the, meat heart, the meathead part of my brain... The big educational takeaway I get from Step Brothers is that scene where he runs out of toilet paper and then he triumphantly walks out of Costco oh, with a giant pack of toilet paper. Like that, like for some reason that always pops up in my head is like, yeah, I should stock up. <laughs> <laughs> now more than ever. 
So that's it, that's sort of like your insight into the dumb male thought process of this movie. That's the only thing I'm taking away, and I'm laughing at the ending. Yeah, and it's like it's 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 maybe why these movies don't always work for me. It's because like okay, so why do like I have to watch a movie about a young woman and she like totally changes her life and like learns a bunch of new stuff? Like I'm. T- <laughs> I'm sick of realizing things, girl. Like, I just kind of want to regress sometimes, you know? And, like, that's the privilege of these movies, is the privilege of these men to just, like, kind of just keep floating on. And you see that in a lot of these films. Would you say that you also see this in a lot of the, like, because this is, like, a, like a non-canonical big boy I would say. I think Step Brothers is definitely a film that I think like if you were to ask like your your like your lacrosse playing boyfriend, what do you want to watch tonight? Drop like, oh, his ad in the chat. Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like uh, you know, it's 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 kind of like our conversation about the thing, where you know this isn't really like a big boy, but this is definitely a film that gets tossed in by boys. Oh yeah. And so. I'm curious, like, that entire concept that you brought up, do you see that also apply to other films that we've spoken about or are going to speak about or just the idea of these films in general? Yes, absolutely. I mean, all these movies, no one fucking learns their lesson. I mean, that's, like, what we talked about when we talked about Fight Club. We talked about Goodfellas. We had a big conversation about that and how they connected even. Like, there's no lesson learned. Or there is a lesson to be learned and they they blatantly ignore it slash fight club. He shoots it out of his own brain and says, I'm better. I'm better now. Actually like men will truly take any opportunity they are given to not learn from their actions. And this film is like, literally they learn from their actions. They are forced into adulthood. They are forced into careers, into starting, starting their lives, getting their own apartments, getting jobs, like being functional members of society, which like, yes, I get it. Like we should not like, like, I'm sorry that I'm like pushing capitalism right now, but like just to be functional, you know, and independent, I I guess independent is the word I'm looking for. They find independence and then their father figure, the patriarch of this film says, actually, no, (laughs) the lesson they learn is you've made a mistake by gaining independence, by actually just participating in society as you are expected to do so and earning your keep in this world, you should, you should go up and, and be children again. You should continue to be childish. And it's like, no one wants to learn. Like no one wants to be realizing things here. And I, so I, I get why men like these movies, you know, like what we watched last week, Blade Runner, the first one there's, I mean, Blade Runner and the thing, both of them are just kind of like stories. There's nothing to be learned there. There's no takeaway. There's no, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's no like moral ending. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not like a fable where every fable has something to be learned at the end. They're just like, here you go. There's a, well, there's the thing. I I think for sure for the thing, you kind of have to reach for that. I think for Blade Runner though, and I think it's the greatest failing of Blade Runner is that it's trying to go for that. It's trying to go for something where it's like, well, maybe I'm a replicant. And it's like, fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> you break <break> this woman. <sighs> Men don't like to learn things. They truly don't like to like be aware of themselves, learn from their mistakes. They don't care about like, they don't care about an ending in which things develop and therefore change. 
like, and then therefore they change their behavior. I think Ricky Bobby is actually the closest he gets to that because he truly does learn about like family or whatever, the importance of family. But like, I just feel like all the movies that I watch, like even rom-coms are made for women. Like both characters learn something new and are different by the end of the film because they have changed their behaviors because they were behaving poorly to begin with. I think about Bridget Jones, particularly because both of those characters, I mean, it's based on the most iconic rom-com of all time, Pride and Prejudice, in which like, that's literally the foundation of Pride and Prejudice is that these two characters come into this story lacking, like with bad qualities. He's proud, she's prejudiced, vice versa. And then at the end of it, they have learned from their experiences with each other and they have grown as people. And only then when they have grown together and taken responsibility for their actions, can they still be together? And that's like the joy of Bridget Jones that she, at the end of the movie, she's taking control of her bad habits. She is like moving herself forward into being independent, but she's still quirky and like fun and like has, and like runs around in her underwear. So she's like, finds a way to balance those things. And then he becomes less proud and they can be together at the end. Like they learn from their, they learn from their behavior and they move forward. And that's why I think men don't care about those movies. And that's why it's interesting. We're like, whoa, I'm not going to go into this, this, the set it up thing we can talk about later, but it's like, I, and like, you look at like legally blonde where like, she has completely different priorities at the end of this film because she was like bad at the beginning. I mean, I love Lily Bond. I think it's an iconic film, but like, why do we have to learn and grow and like, <laughs> do, and like break our backs to fucking continue to develop and learn from our mistakes and take responsibility for our actions when men get to be like, actually, no, you know what was better when you guys were fucking hanging out in your treehouse it's not there <laughs> yeah wow. i think you have this same narrative of like uh i mean it's it's difficult to qualify because i think stepbrothers how it ends is definitely a noted statement on what you're referring to i think i think because right before it cuts to the treehouse outside it is the full-on we learned something ending where everyone's like now at the dinner table, Adam Scott is like now kind of toning himself down a bit <laughs> to uh, like appeal to everyone. And like Dale and Brennan are just like, yeah, we're, we're focusing on franchising right now. And you know, we're making like slow, but steady progress. And I'm like, okay, we're here. And they found then their passion and they've started they to their combine passion. their passion and business. And then it's like the punchline is just the complete undercut of everything that progressed in that very scene alone which i don't think i i think this is more of an issue i think if you look back at earlier 2000s comedies uh that are, are a bit more earnest in what they're conveying i think stepbrothers really cherishes how manic it, it, it's sort of entire uh personality and uh just structure is in general like this is a movie that really treasures uh set pieces and just mm. going just finding a reason to jump to one joke to the other there's very little here that is necessarily essential to telling it a story. It's really what in our story can make the best jokes. But I think if you go back like early 2000s with a lot of the Ben Stiller movies mm. and like a lot of sort of like the, um, the Chris Farley films as well. Wow. Like I think of Tommy Boy where you have that entire like, oh, this dude's a fuck up. 
and he hasn't really learned too much at the end of the film, <laughs> uh, but we're going to celebrate it anyways, you know? And then I think Billy Madison is, like, a very similar thing. It's... So it, it's difficult to line up the two, I think, in terms of the moral basis, in terms of stepbrothers, but I think you're definitely onto something in terms of, like, just the, the tone of comedies. And I think also, if we're, if we're talking about the men not wanting to learn. It's so interesting that I think if you look at the big boys, a lot of the endings to these films are either this, that notion or your, the lesson learned is death. But even then, in your death, you become a martyr, you know? Like, death is something noble. Exa- exactly. Like, e- if your film ends in death or if it's a cynical ending, suddenly your sacrifice then becomes something even greater than any of your sins. Which is, I'm sure we will get into that big topic the further we get into our list of movies we're talking mm-hmm. about on the show. But it, that, I mean, if I really look at the titles that we have spoken about and that we are going to talk about, those are the two endings. That's completely right. Or, I mean, even, like, I think the most aware so far has been Goodfellas where you're like, he's offered an opportunity to learn from his actions and mistakes. And then he actively is like, no, I'm good. Which I think is interesting because like, I don't know. I mean, it goes back to what we've already talked about in terms of men watching movies for like what they actually are and what they want to see. And I can see this movie. I just can see this movie influencing dudes to be like, nah, (laughs) I'm going to be a kid forever. No, I see you. I think um, to sort of bring this in, um, I'm curious, since we're talking about sort of the larger idea of the big boys, why, why, why do you think they, so many of the big boys are like two and a half to three hours and dour and serious and just like, I wouldn't say slogs per se, but definitely uh, emotional battlefields. Why do you think they're so self-serious? Because men's lives aren't actually hard enough. So they're like, maybe I can like fuck around and feel oppressed for for three hours. (laughs) That's why they're like, let me watch a a fake stunt. Let me watch The Sopranos because I don't actually experience like hardship or sadness and I'm not in touch with my own personal emotions. So I guess I'll just feel sad for Tony Soprano for five hours today. Let me watch Game of Thrones because I only know how to contextualize my emotions by by like patting them with dragons. All right, that I can fuck with. Although I think The Sopranos, what you just said, that is what the conflict of the actual characters in the show is. That's what I've heard. I'm sorry I said The Sopranos. I think I probably should have said, like, I don't know. Oh, any prestige TV, Breaking I think, is bad. kind of fair game at this point. Oh, men, are like, <laughs> men are like, I don't actually want to, like, think about any of my personal feelings or any of my own relationships, so I'm going to call Skylar White a bitch on the internet. Holy shit. <laughs> God, it's, it's, it's definitely like big fake stunt hours where it's just like, oh yeah, I, 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 I like this important media, man. This is the best film ever made. The Godfather is the best fucking movie ever made, idiot. And it's, I mean, here's the thing. Godfather, pretty fucking good. I'm sure. But, but <laughs> there is definitely an aura that comes into defending this core canon of very like uh, deeply serious films that suddenly feels like a complete protection of 
just male ego in general. And a comedy where you're letting down your guard and like enjoying something that doesn't quite fit the bill. Like Step Brothers isn't the film equivalent of like going into the coal mines, you know? <laughs> like this is kind of like the bar afterwards, but you know, you don't really want to let your wife know that you went to the bar after you went oh, man. And got off work, you know? <laughs> uh I don't know. It's just uh yeah, there's something about how self, how these films completely line up with how so many men interact with them, which, I mean, is something that we talk about weekly, which is, in, in most scenarios, that what we're finding out, it's the men that, are, that watch these films that are really the most insipid part, and that the movies themselves actually are saying something completely different than what the viewer base is taking from them. So... <laughs> We're diagnosing a whole different problem altogether. The movies might be galaxy brain and the guys are like, <laughs> it's like woke, broke, bespoke, <laughs> bespoke. We're bespoke. The movies are woke and the men watching them broke. <laughs> I, uh, that was dumb. <laughs> that was the fucking dumbest shit. <laughs> I'm just going to let it slide, let it fly. Carter, cut it I, out, cut it out. <laughs> Nope, leave it in. This shit is <laughs> in the episode. Aya, we are moving on to your favorite segment. Best of segment. Every episode. Aya, tell us about it. Folks, it's the hottest of the flick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And I mean, we, I feel like usually we kind of have a stacked cast. I mean, we're going from last week where I had a list of five of my hottest, and, uh, and I left some out. And this week, I'm screaming the bottom of the barrel, baby. <laughs> but I think, honestly, okay, like, I'm going to give, like, a special shout-out to my man, Seth Rogen, who I find very hot. But he was in such a minimal amount of this movie that I couldn't, I can't even really, like, he doesn't really qualify, but I'll give him a little special shout-out because he's hot. Number hottest of the flick is Mother Miss Mary Steenburgen herself because, holy shit, as Kevin said, she was glowing in this movie, she was Talk like Mother shit. Mary herself. She has the, the, the highlights. Every outfit is unreal. She is just, she is, she is floating above every, above the earth, everywhere she walks. And she's so charming and she's so funny and she's so nice. And she is, I mean, she's a star and she shines in this movie. She's so, so, so good in Step Brothers. I think when we were watching the film, you mentioned uh, that the color grading of the movie was it's kind weird. of weird. It's very weird. It's weird, but I think it does Steenbergen some big favors. She doesn't need these favors, mm -mm. but she looks cooked. She looks Truly. like like a, like a Thanksgiving turkey. It's just like, I want to be in your presence. I want to keep looking at you on the screen. You are something else, mom. Oh Whatever bronzer they were using on her worked. Whatever, oh like her Jesus. makeup is amazing. Her hair, like it's it's just stunning. And I almost it's weird. Like she looks so good, and the dudes look like bad. I mean, I think that's kind of the point. The guys in this movie, they're, they're looking real rough, like rough. Mm. And Miss Mary and even Catherine Hahn are like glowing. Yeah, I would qualify John T. Riley as like uh, you know. He's uh, unconventionally attractive, but in this film, he's, 
<laughs> no no angle, no uh, lighting works. setup. Nothing works. Nothing's doing them any favors. And it's funnier for it. It's, I mean, it's supposed but, to be, it, I'm glad. I would not want it to be, uh, want them to be attractive in this movie. It would be very confusing. <laughs> oh, I love John C. Riley so much. He's so good. Oh, he's, so good. he's so good. Aya, uh, I love these types of episodes where we, either one of us experiences a mind-melting breakthrough on one of the movies we're talking Unreal! about. Unreal! <laughs> Unexpected. I loved it. Oh my God. Do you have any parting words for... I, I think this is an episode of I Ever the Big Boys. I think we're at the very end now. At the end. Do you have any last comments? Stream Kong Skull Island um, on Amazon and YouTube <laughs> and whatever. Uh, John C. Riley is the GOAT. He deserves an Oscar. Um, watch Talladega Nights. <laughs> and thanks for coming. Thanks for subscribing to I Ever the Freaking Big Boys. We've got some really exciting episodes. I don't know. I don't know if it's it's right to plug, but I plug our own podcast. But God, I'm just really we've got I mean, we may not have a lot to look forward to in our personal <laughs> real lives, but on this freaking podcast, baby, there's some big hitters coming up and I'm really excited. And thanks for listening. Yeah. You know, everything Aya said summed it up great. Wrap we'll this you- shit up. We'll wrap it up. We'll see you next week on another episode of Aya versus the big boys. (laughs) 